Hi, I'm Paul Shrinkler and welcome to Tech Interviews. On this week's show, it's all about myth-busting. So, settle back and enjoy the show. Welcome to this, a different episode of Tech Interviews, because this week, I'm the guest, as I share a replay of my appearance alongside industry friends and fellow podcasters Chris Evans and Martin Glassborough on an excellent Storage Unpacked podcast. They asked me on to discuss a topic that always interests me, and that's the myths versus reality of technology adoption. Are the things that industry watchers and analysts talk about actually the things that we see being broadly deployed inside of enterprises? It leads to a wide-ranging debate about things like digital transformation, the challenge of adopting innovative technologies, and the importance of dialogue inside of an enterprise, as well as between customers and suppliers. Chris and Martin always have great industry insights, so I hope you find it interesting. Settle back and enjoy the show. This is Storage Unpacked. Subscribe at storageunpacked.com. Looking good. Hi, this is Chris Evans recording another Storage Unpacked podcast. I'm here with Martin. Hey, Martin, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Um, not been blown away yet. Yeah, it was pretty pretty, pretty windy. Pretty yeah. windy, certainly down the south. And we can ask our guest whether he's had a similar problem of, with the wind up north. How are you doing, Paul? Yeah, I'm doing very well, Chris. And uh, as, as my family will tell you, there's a constant problem with the wind when, uh, when I'm involved. Um, and, and that's not just outside. Uh, so Absolutely. there you go, L- lowering the tone of your podcast straight away. <laughs> Excellent. So let's um, do a proper introduction. Paul Stringfellow. Paul, please tell everybody who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, my name is Paul Stringfellow. Um, I can be found on the Twitters and, and social media at uh, TechStringy. Some of you perhaps heard me on this show before uh, and also on my own podcast, uh, Tech Interviews. Um, I'm, I'm sure Chris will pop that in the show notes as a bit of uh, self-promotion for me at the end. Uh, but in my real job, um, I'm a, a technical director for an IT consultancy based in Liverpool. And we work mainly in the data space, so around uh, data management, data security, data governance. Um, but that also includes, you know, traditional infrastructure background as well so you know working with storage servers uh yeah and, and all of the kind of things that, that go with that it's going to say so it's no truth to a rumor you run a nightclub uh no there is no truth to that and, and when he passed away i wasn't in the will so i'm guessing i'm no relative either um much, much to my disappointment <laughs> never mind he just left me he just left me a pair of leather thongs uh, which uh, again lowering the tone of the show. Thanks for that Paul. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's an image for everyone. Yeah. Hopefully not. Hopefully we're trying to scratch that out of our minds at this very moment. Yeah. Um okay so our, t- our topic for today really um I think I think sprung from a conversation we had before Christmas be well I was it been Christmas and New Year but it was it was 2019 it was in that last decade. <gasps> No, no comments anybody about what the decade is, but it was that last decade, and we talked about this whole idea of perception versus reality. And I think you asked me how many people I thought might be installing and deploying Kubernetes, and we sort of came to the conclusion that we thought maybe there weren't that many people out there using that technology. But you know, if you look at the industry and the market and the news, you'd think that everybody was deployed. So our discussion really today is to look at and talk about whether we think or what we think the reality is out there of what people are deploying in terms of storage and and whether there's a bit of a hype about certain technologies over and above uh, what they should be. You know, do we live in a little bubble uh, effectively? So where should we start? How about we start with, well, let's start with yourself, Paul, and, you know, tell us what your perception is about what goes on out there in the real world. But obviously, we thought it was a, a good topic, which is why we're, we're talking about it, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I think there is a real 
it, it is a reality that I think we, um, you know, we pay attention. And I, and I see myself do this a lot. You know, I, I pay a lot of attention to people like yourself, Chris, you know, and then listen to the, the, you know, listen to this show regularly and, you know, and a lot of the guests you have on. But, you know, shows similar to this, read blogs, go to tech conferences. You know, we, we all hear lots and lots of the same stories. And I think sometimes we assume that everybody who works is any kind of technology professional or is making IT decisions inside of any type of business or organization are all having the same conversations. But I think the reality that when we're, we're meeting with these, and particularly in my market, I deal a lot with mid-enterprise. You know, I'm not dealing with big enterprises on the West Coast of the US. That for a lot of the conversations we have, it's it's often very much business as usual. I think there's certainly a there's certainly an element of people trying to look ahead. You know, they're, they're trying to think, what do I do next? You know, what should I be doing with this cloud thing? Is that real? Um, you know, should, should I be considering that? Um, but for a lot of the cases, it is still very much, I've got, all of this IT that I'm trying to look after, it's all very traditional and I've got a budget that I'm working with and I've got some business pressures and some some outcomes that we're, we've been asked to, to deliver. So I'm going to do those things. You know, we're not having conversations necessarily about how do I digitally transform my entire organization? How do I utilize Kubernetes, which was kind of some of the uh, uh, some of the, com- the starting point for a lot of this conversation? You know, not that there's anything wrong with that technology, but I think often what's happening perhaps in the west coast of the us where these kind of born in the cloud companies are uh, are starting to use those kind of technologies in the way that they deliver all of their it is not necessarily spreading across the rest of the markets that, that we deal with um, and i think a lot of those organizations i talk to particularly are still very much challenged by traditional it problems you know how to get the best out of what they're doing how to you know how to keep those lights on how to manage infrastructure and data better you know all, all of those kind of areas not necessarily making some of the huge leaps that that we they think they are and perhaps when we talk to them about those we're shocked that they've either never Mm. heard of it or it's just not not something even in consideration for for what they're doing yeah so martin uh how do you look at it i mean you have been like me you've worked in different types of enterprises and you still really um although you you know you, you don't get your hands dirty in the same respects as we used to you have people who do that for you but you know you are still an end user in that sense aren't you yeah, I am. So how do I say it? It's one of these things which the long tail never seems to go away in an enterprise. By the long tail, I say the legacy. So if you look in the enterprise, there'll be very, still be very much traditional IT, traditional bare metal hosts, talking to SANS, talking to traditional arrays, with traditional LUNs. The change we're beginning to see is more common is those LUNs are more on, it's more common for them to be flash SSD as opposed to a spinning disk. But often if you look at things, it's it's still done in a very traditional way. So there's a whole chunks of IT, which you would argue are, are right for digital transformation, but trying to uh, build any kind of business case is next to impossible for, for most companies. Why would I rewrite all these applications so they would run, say, for instance, in containers and move them to Kubernetes? Where's the business benefit? What's it going to allow me to do better? So, yeah, I, I think Paul's right. The adoption is a lot slower than sometimes we'd like to think on on the bubble and certainly in a small and medium enterprise or even go smaller than that to small business i don't think the adoption is anything like as fast as some people think okay i'm going to stop you one second and ask you a question and what do you mean by digital transformation what does that term actually mean 
what does it mean? I think it depends who you talk to, depends on which set of consultancies you talk to. It's about putting data at the heart of your company, making all your decisions based on the information you have about either by your processes, uh, about your customers. So data-driven, I think, is digital transformation as far as I'm concerned. Okay, Paul, so I'm going to ask you a similar, the same question, but I'm going to put a bit on that and as a spin on that and say, if we follow what Martin said, which say say it's about the data, which makes complete sense. If you've got technology that works, then surely you don't need to go through any dig- digital transformation because everything's working if the process is right. Yeah, and I think um, perhaps what Martin started off with actually is, is, is maybe the right answer anyway, is that it really depends a little bit. You know, I think that idea of digital transformation sounds like such a big, all-encompassing word. You know, it sounds like a huge project, but but maybe it's it's a lot more straightforward than that. You know, and, and I said there's something just can wind back a little bit that that something Martin was saying earlier on actually about that idea of where people are still doing things very traditionally. So although they might be investing in a new technology, so maybe they're going all flash as opposed to spinning disk, but they're still presenting LUNs or they're presenting NFS data stores up to VMware or the, you know, they're doing those kind of things. That's not really a transformation. That's just taking kind of, you know, it's buying a new car, isn't it? I've not changed the way I, I drive. I've just bought a newer, shinier car that maybe goes faster and is a bit more efficient. And I think for a lot of organizations, that maybe is what they think of transformation at the moment. You know, it's a, maybe I'm going down the HCI route. You know, maybe that's something that's that's huge and transformational. But often even with things like that, I, I will look at that and think, well, is it really transformational or is it just squeezing all your resources into a much smaller box? You know, is it really changing the way that I deliver technology, the way I deliver business outcomes? And I think what might start to drive that transformation a little bit, it was something you kind of hinted at in in the questionnaire and what Martin was saying before was that that idea of if we start to turn around the way that we look at how we deliver IT and start to have more of a focus around data, more of a focus around information and how we get the best out of that and how we utilize that to, to kind of drive business outcomes, then maybe that starts to change the way more aggressively how we think about how we deploy technology because because I do think at the moment you're quite right I think lots of people inside of an organization will look at I'm delivering these things these things kind of work right now my idea of digital transformation is maybe I go down the HCI route at at the extreme end of transformation almost uh, but maybe it's I'll do small flash maybe I'll back up some stuff to the cloud or maybe I'll have a DR as a service rather than building another data center you know that those kind of things are seen as transformation whereas I think probably the reality of transformation is to look from a business down as opposed to a technology up and say how am I going to do things differently and just have technology as a platform that helps me to do it you know think from a an outcome point of view but but I'm not sure that that lots of people are necessarily having that conversation right now yeah I'll give you um, a bit of an, an analogy that transforms that discussion that you just said about the car and Obviously, you know, you could go and buy a new car, you could re- refresh your, your um, transport technology and say that you're going to go and buy yourself a new car because you like the idea of a new car. Who doesn't? But at the end of the day, you could look at it and say, actually, I need a, a reliable car. I need a car that gets me to my office or if I'm visiting lots of customers, allows me to get to those customers efficiently at a lower cost than I was paying before. And maybe it's more fuel efficient etc. So that might transform my working environment by buying a different vehicle. But it isn't about the vehicle per se. It's about what the vehicle does to my my, my business or, or my job. And I guess that's what we're trying to imply here, that you don't want to just be deploying technology for technology's sake. It needs to translate into a business benefit. And you, you use the example of HCI. 
I can see how people have put HCI in because they can look at it and say, okay, it means I can put, deploy people elsewhere. I have better increments in terms of cost. So you need to t- sort of frame it in those terms. And it, maybe that's very difficult for technicians to actually get their head around. Well, can I ask you a question then? Because I, I think HCI is maybe a good example of this and I'm trying to ask this ask this question without upsetting HCI vendors. But you talked there about you deploy HCI because that allows me to redeploy resources elsewhere. So here's my question. Does it? Does it really, though? I was being polite. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> nobody writes a business case where you say, and we'll be sacking half of the people that are in this company or we'll be, you know, letting them go or we won't be re-employing anybody. Nobody says that because nobody who's going to write a business case that gets gets them sacked. So everybody always uses euphemisms that say, oh, yes, we could use them more effectively elsewhere. I mean, in reality, we know that's not the case. But if you look at large environments that are growing considerably, where you know you, you know, next year you'll be twice as big and the year after that you might be, you know, 50% bigger again, you simply can't take more people on. So you just say, great, we just don't have to employ anybody else. You know, what do you think, Martin? We hear this all the time. It's a driving efficiency, driving effectiveness. Yeah, I'd never write a business case which suggested I got rid of half my team. That would be that, that would be madness. It just wouldn't it wouldn't fly. And with the growth as it is, you don't need to. You're you're always being asked to do more for same. Very few people are growing their teams dramatically. So yeah, I think that's very true. I was just looking at something about uh, digital transformation. Digital transformation may be important to companies, certainly at the SME size. I was looking at a a stat about the Standard & Poor 500. In 1958, Mm -hmm. corporations remained on that index for the average of 61 years. By 2011, it was 18 years. Today, companies have been replaced on the Standard & Poor approximately every two weeks. So technology is driving changes in the Standard & Poor 500. I imagine that's going throughout the all companies are changing quickly. So to survive, you're going to have to um, change. But the reality is people don't seem to be changing. So I'm just wondering why that is. Okay, well, let's talk about the tech evaluation process and how we would change technology. So, Paul, you deal with people on a day-to-day basis. What's your approach for talking to customers about, you know, changing their technology or trying to help them do something different? Yeah, I think actually that trying to help them to do something different is is perhaps the key part of that. So I mean, in my introduction, I said that said you know what what we do as a business, you know, as, as Gardener Systems, what we do is that we talk to our customers around their data and 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 our attempt is to try and get them to focus on that data data model as opposed to looking necessarily at infrastructure so uh, if i wind back three or four years and you know, we, we could go and talk to a you know we focus on data and storage but you know if, we, if we're going to talk to a customer about refreshing some of their storage infrastructure we might go through the door and say well come and have a look at vendor a who we're representing at any any given time uh, because we think you know this is the best vendor on the market right now doing whatever they're doing you know it doesn't really matter who who those vendors are and that customer may turn around and say one of two things you know they may say yes i'm interested because I've got a project to replace my part of my infrastructure, my storage infrastructure, or they might turn around and say no, because actually I, you, I know you like vendor A, but we like vendor B, and we're going to stay with vendor B, and that kind of ends that conversation there. You know, that's not 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 a conversation that's talking about a wider business challenge. So, so I think one of the things that we learnt probably four or five years ago was that we started to do some work around this kind of data governance, data security space. And what that allowed us to do was to have a very different conversation around looking at challenges that businesses had around how they managed and secured and and drove compliance across their data. And I I remember actually listening to um, something yourself and Martin did probably 12, 18 months ago, where I think Martin had perhaps been through a similar process of trying to 
get under control and, and under management this huge amount of never-ending, never-growing amounts of data that an organization can create. And I think so, uh, you know, and I thought I was, it was quite an interesting parallel with, with the conversations we were we were having and still having with a, with a lot of customers around start to focus on what you want, the stuff that you have to do and worry less about the technology that, that underpins it. Um, you know, how that plays into how you then start to evaluate technology is, is a perhaps hasn't changed particularly. You know, you, you're going to look at vendor A and vendor B and you're going to make some choices around uh, the vendor that best suits. I think often, um, and I, I made a note actually when we first started talking that um, I think when we spoke before Christmas, I, I was replying to a tender for replacing some storage all of the questions on that tender were the same questions that I've been asked over the last 10, 15 years of, of working in the storage industry. None of the conversation that they were having had changed. And I looked at that and thought, yeah, are they, you know, how much of a business change conversation are they really having? Or are they just having a conversation that says, oh, we've got some stuff that we need to change because it's now up to X amount of years old. It's lived out. It's, it's life. I'm just going to change that. But I'm not really open to having a conversation around doing yeah. something differently and, and all of this falls back into that that kind of piece we, maybe where we started which is i think for a lot of these organizations they're so busy delivering what they need to deliver with limited resource they just don't have the time to have a have a wider debate yeah i, I can see that i was just going to um, sort of say to, to to you martin obviously you know that's something that we had talked about before but it did make me think that there is a scenario where you've got a CIO and a CTO um, involvement in a larger organization where maybe the CIO is the one who should be doing the transformational process and the CTO should be looking at the technology to achieve that. Whereas in a smaller company, you might not have that capability. So sometimes I think just the challenge of having the right people in, in the organization can be a problem. Oh, yeah, it's such a large thing to start looking at. If you think about a, a CIO, we're looking at a, a transformation and transformation. We know the biggest piece about transformation has to be a cultural shift in a large organization. That's a big job. But even in smaller organizations, that can be a huge job where you've got a small team who's probably doing everything. They'll turn around and say, I haven't got time to look at cultural shift. And then the CTO, the CTO will, will be looking at technologies in a, in a smaller organization, how much time have they got? And where's the business pressures coming from? The business may not necessarily see that there's any value at spending three or four months evaluating a new technology. What does that mean? Does that mean I can sell more stuff? And they, a lot of people, they don't care yet whether it means they can sell more stuff in two years' time. They want to know, can I sell more stuff tomorrow? I think sometimes that's what people forget. Um, reporting cycles for businesses are a year. You've got a year to eight or 18 months and out at the longest for these investment decisions to start paying off. So obviously I sent you a diagram that looks at the idea of a concept called crossing the chasm by an author called Jeffrey Moore. And he, in that book, has a diagram that shows how you split basically the, the market for adoption of new technologies into an early market where you see people who are innovators and early adopters. And they need to cross this chasm, this theoretical chasm and move into mainstream and the majority of people actually take a long time to get into that mainstream market and in reality there's a I guess a set of inertia you've got to overcome in order to get people to make that leap and that's the sort of thing that we're talking about that it's it's cost it's skills uh, it's got to be a, a, rate, a rate of return that demonstrates something within a as you said 12 to 18 month period without which you're just not going to not going to do it because you're not going to see any benefit from doing that. There's a, there's a concept in Agile which is talked about a lot, which is minimum viable product, MVP. 
but most companies won't want to take an MVP because it will be it will be it won't be feature complete. So they're go, they're going to wait. So that's when you're going to that's where that chasm is when something big moves from becoming a minimum viable product into something which becomes mainstream. So because with an MVP, you're probably going to end up changing processes, uh, procedures. It's not going to slot into your business. You're going to have support concerns. It's like the old joke. Nobody ever takes a dot zero of a product. So you never take, well, driven from Windows, you never would have installed on Windows 3.0. You'd wait for Windows 3.11. You never take a 1.0, 2.0 product. You're, you're always going to wait for version 3. It, well, if you're saying you are. So that's what we got. And it's almost become something which is uh, it's a rule now in IT. Don't accept the first one. Don't accept the second one. Third one, start to look at it. Yeah, I think Microsoft basically, as you said, with Windows, that was a Microsoft thing that you never touched any Microsoft product until it got to version three. I think that side of it is really interesting that if you've got, unless you've got a real burning problem that can't be solved any other way, you're really going to look at technology and decide to, take that at a certain point now one thing that does come out of this i think that's really interesting is and this is a conversation i had with another on another podcast and that was talking about this idea of day two i don't know whether you see this at all paul but the idea of day two being you have a technology and you look at it and go yeah this is great this you know does whatever it does and then day two is really about well how on earth does it now fit in my environment so you know if you're talking to your customers how much of your time would you spend looking at training looking at skills looking at operational process and how it fits in or breaks all of those things you know that i'm guessing that's for you is as much a problem as the technology is i think absolutely it is actually and and, you know and it's the um it's probably one of the biggest challenges you see with technology adoption and um i I always remember a a story of uh, i had a meeting and i I won't mention a software vendor um, but they're a very well-known software vendor and i had a meeting with a customer and a couple of representatives from this vendor and they were talking about renewing some licensing subscriptions you know you've you know you've all all been in those meetings where your your licensing subscription has come to an end and it's time to renew so they come in and tell you why should renew and then there's loads of back and forth between the customer and the vendor saying oh we should renew and they say, well, I don't want to pay that much. What always struck me about that meeting, and, and, and I think it's a continual problem, was actually I was thinking, well, but where as a vendor have you been in the last two years? Why haven't you been into the customer all the time saying, are you getting value from this? Do you know that you can do this with this piece of software? Do you know that we can help you do this this better? And then when you have that conversation at the end of the subscription period, actually the conversation is about how much is it? Great, I need to pay that because this, this software or this service is worth X times that to my business. And I think that still often lacks. And it was interesting where you, you were talking before about where people make these buying decisions and, and actually waiting for things to become the norm. Because I think that is absolutely true that that people wait for so that you know they're not going they're not going to be the ones that take the risk. You know, when they they what we see as kind of new and evolving technology today, they're going to buy in five years' time because that's the only choice. You know, that's that's the way this this stuff works. And but I still think you see on a very regular basis that technology gets deployed in an organization, you go back twelve months later, you're having a review and they're saying, Oh, we've never really used it because they've never thought about the investment in training, in understanding, in understanding, and it probably is a fundamental problem that right at the start, they've never really understood what they wanted that solution to deliver for their business. They never thought of it from an outcome point of view. They looked at it as a technology point of view. And and I don't know whether Martin sees this as well, or, or, or yourself, Chris, that perhaps still too many of those technology buying decisions are being made 
by the technology team. You know, it, it's the IT manager making that decision. They're not having that kind of wider business conversation that says, what are we trying to achieve? Let's find some technology to help you to do that. So so, so I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's a huge problem still that people are making these technology investments. And then 12 months down the line, they're looking back and thinking, what did I do that for? I'm not even sure why I spent that money. Yeah, I'll let you, let you answer in a second, Martin. But just for me as a consultant, when I did that sort of work, any of the projects I've been involved in for, for companies, we would have sat down at the very beginning and said, here's what we're looking to achieve. Here's what we're looking to be the result at the end of the actual piece of work, you know, the improvement or the benefit or whatever. And we would agree a process by which we measured it. So that might be that our unit cost had gone down or people had become more efficient or the provisioning process for the storage had been improved or the delivery to the business meant they got their turnaround in minutes instead of hours or days. Whatever it was, we would measure it and we would have an agreement about how we would do that across the lifetime of the project. So when we came to the end of it, we could demonstrate it. And part of the reason we did that is because that helped us get second business because we could go in and go, you know, remember that project we came in with you last time? Remember what return we got on it? Well, we'd like to try and see if we can get some more business out of you. And if you could demonstrate that, that was really good. Okay, so in our experience, the only ever t- the only time you see a v- and vendor, especially software vendors, that license renewal time, which is really frustrating because obviously the license costs have never gone down; they've always gone up. So there's this to and fro between the customer and the vendor. The vendor will start discussing about features which you, which was in the product which they haven't necessarily told you about, or features which you never wanted to use. So it all becomes very contentious very quickly. It's not a great place for anybody to be. So if there are any vendors out there with sales teams out there, your job is not just as a salesman. You need to be an account manager. An account manager means checking in with your customer, large and small, at least once a quarter, if it's a large complex project. Just come and talk to us. You'll find at least people buy from people. So at least be a familiar face. Don't just turn up and say, well, by the way, here's your next um, half a million pound bill which happens far too often in the software industry. Yeah, agreed. I mean, just to maybe just to add something to that as well, and I think from almost from the other side of the fence, I think sometimes there has to be, you know, if, if I'm looking at this and, and I'm working with a, a customer or business, you know, whatever size they might be, I think the only way that we can give them a really good service is to know them in the way that Martin's just describing. I think, you know, you, you've got to take the time to get to understand them as a business, understand the nuance of what they're trying to do. Because if you don't understand those things, how on earth are you supposed to provide the right kind of services, the right kind of solutions to, to business problems? Because you probably never know what those business problems are. I mean, I think the only thing I would say, you know, and it often depends very much on the organization is sometimes organizations need to be prepared to go the other way as well because uh, i think often uh, i've come across situations where you want to exactly have that conversation or you want to invite somebody to attend a webinar or you feel there's a conference they should go to because it'll have some value to them and, and often i think it's very easy for organizations or, or pe- people like within it in any kind of business to turn around and say yeah but my, my to-do list is way too big and that wouldn't be a great use of my time and they're, they're not often taking taking it seriously enough to invest in the technology they've invested in you know and i'd say it's not the same for all organizations not trying to say everybody's the same of course they're not but it is a problem i come across quite a lot that that those organizations or people you know the it teams in in many a business aren't necessarily keen to invest the other way because they're just busy keeping keeping stuff running that and i and i get it but but i feel that's a, a challenge in itself as well i think you're right and i know from our perspective when we bought our first house 
and the worst possible uh, agents you could ever deal with, estate agents. We found that we had one guy who he had a really good idea of what we were interested in, but we were having to travel every time we were looking at properties. So it was about an hour's journey each way to get to look at um, particular properties. And he, he rang us up one day and said, something's come on the market. It's it's literally not been seen by anybody else. This is I know this is what you're looking for. And it was a midweek. And we're like, well, we two-hour journey to come up and see it and come back minimum. It really needs to be worthwhile. And he said to us, look, I know what you're looking for. This is absolutely the thing that you really, really want. And if I'm wrong, I'll never talk to you again. And as it turned out, we got there, we looked at it, and it was exactly what we wanted, and that's what we bought. And I think if you've got that understanding of the the needs of the business, then as a salesman, as an account manager, you should be understanding those requirements to be able to have that sort of conversation without it always seeming like a big sell all the time. I'm not quite sure how we got here from um, whether people were doing all the cool things that, that people on the West Coast of the US were doing, but um, but I'm glad we did. Yeah, well, I'm going to take us back to that now because obviously <laughs> we've talked a lot about the realities of actually deploying technology, and I want to take us back to the, the sort of groups and the sort of people we are in terms of our conversation. So from my perspective, I speak to a lot of organizations who are trying to tell me, yeah, this is going to be the next big thing. So I'm looking at, at it from an uh, analyst-type view and saying, okay, is that really going to be deployable? Is that really going to solve people's problems? Is this just a solution looking for that problem? And a lot of the time, I'll try and write objectively about the actual deployment of the technology and whether I really think that's going to solve people's problems. Now, from your perspective, Paul, you're in a different position because you're more in that relationship with the customer where the product already exists. And then, Martin, you're in that end-user situation where you're having to do a slightly different view as well. So I think we're all sitting in different angles, and it does help if we all understand each other's position a bit more. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree. I, I think it's you know it comes back to something we've, we've already talked about, that idea of having that relationship so that you understand what a business is trying to achieve. You understand what your customer is trying to do, you know, you, or you understand yourself, you know, you take the time within your own organization to, to have those conversations and, and try and understand where, where people are trying to get to and, and how technology might be able to help them. But that, that thing that you do, Chris, I think is, is something that I, I do as well. It was a, a tip I picked up off a friend a, a, a while back now, which was that whenever you're looking at new technology, ask yourself the question, does it solve a problem that actually exists? And it probably is exactly where this, this show started that I think that and not not all problems are the same and not everybody's versions of problems are the same as well. So, you know, it's easy to turn around and say, well, that technology doesn't solve a real problem that I see day to day. Um, and, and that might well be true. It doesn't mean that it doesn't solve any kind of problem. But but I think that's exactly right, is that, you know, lots of people are running around saying that I've got this next great big thing. But the reality is, is it really solving a problem that exists today? Because I think if it isn't, you're going to have some real problems longer term on, you know, you're taking investment, you're trying to grow a business. But if nobody's really seeing that as a problem right now, the question is, are you going to be able to survive long enough uh, till people do see it as a problem? And I think that that can be a problem as a challenge in an organization as well, in that often businesses don't sometimes know what their own problems are. And it sometimes just takes somebody to point out something that might be an issue for them to realize. And and I've seen that in a few technologies in, in my career where actually when somebody sees a technology and has taken that time to investigate it, they do have that light bulb moment that goes, do you know what? That is a problem. I just didn't realize it was. Yeah, but Martin, I mean, evolve, uh, evaluating every single technology and every single person who knocks on your door is almost impossible, I would say. Oh, yeah, I, w- I would get nothing done. Yeah. 
I, if I spoke to every vendor who knocked on my door, every startup which knocked on my door, I said, we've got the latest, greatest um, technology, which is going to solve a problem. I do read an awful lot of white papers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I wish people wouldn't make you register to read them. Um, if you make you register to read them, I probably won't read them. So, but I, I, I read a lot. I, I, I try and work out what it means, but it's, um, it's difficult when you work in a technology organization, sometimes to understand where a technology may be transformational for a business. We can see how it would change how you would do things internally, and it may allow you to do things better, cheaper, or, or faster. Understanding what that means to a business is a different skill entirely. So we can look at business from a technology point of view, and we can say, oh, that's going to transform our business technology-wise. But if um, you, your business people think, so what? Well, you're not going to do it. And I think that's where it is. So businesses also need to take, uh, sort of people work in the line of business need to take some responsibility for this. They need to um, survey their competitive landscape, to, to see what their competitors are doing, what the new upstarts are doing. Because by the time you do notice, it may well be too late. They may have stolen a massive march on you. So technology adoption, everybody talks about it. Very few people are doing it, but it does need to get better because I think there are so many startups. In your, so saying for the rate of companies coming in and out of an index it, it is massive. That means there is a lot of companies who are growing very quickly. That also means there's a lot of companies who are failing. Yeah, and I think just to add to what Martin's saying there as well, and I, I think it's absolutely right, is, is to understand that that is a very much a two-way conversation. You know, it, it's easy to sit there saying, well, the technologists inside of a, an organization need to go and find out what the business is trying to achieve. But I think it's also important to realize that the best way for a, a, an organization, for a management team in an organization to utilize technology and take advantage of what technology can do to them is to open up discussions both ways. And I think it's, I say, it's, it's very easy for it just to be a one-way discussion and then you end end up with that kind of thing that we're just kind of replacing you know existing technology and existing ways of doing things with slightly newer ways of doing things so um but yeah yeah that that kind of two-way conversation is is crucial if you're going to really exploit what it can do for you i think that's a great point to call a halt to our discussion i was thinking we could talk about specific technologies but i think actually we're probably better off not talking about any specific technologies in the storage area because i think that might cloud our view a little bit we should just um finish where we are and uh and you know, give any last conclusions. It'd be interesting to see how this plays back now when you when you listen to it, because I I, I think we we kind of drifted a long way from where we started. Uh, that's probably my fault. You're you're far more organised when I'm not on it. But yeah, I, it'd be interesting how it, it listens back. But yeah, I, I think if you get into kind of specific technologies, then we're we're going to head off down yeah. a, a whole different show. Aren't I think we? we are. So guys, I think you know we we look at it and we can say that perhaps we should all just be spending a bit more time thinking about. A, what our requirements are, B, what our technology is out there. And, and from the other side of the, the the market, you know, the actual vendors should be trying to spend a bit of time working with us to make sure when they're selling us stuff, they're selling us something that we actually need. So I appreciate your time. Thanks very much for joining. Paul, if you just want to add anything on top of uh, the discussion in terms of where people can find you, stalk you, you know, all that sort of thing, where should they go? Uh, well, they can find me across the internet uh, at TechStringy, so at TechStringy on the Twitters. TechStringy.com is my blog site, and uh, podcast.techstringy.com if they'd like to listen to tech interviews, which, of course, uh, includes having you on the show, Chris, uh, on a relatively regular basis. And I have no idea when this will get published, so I won't even say that we've just recorded something recently because that was actually done last year, and who knows when this will come out, so timing-wise it might <laughs> yeah. not work, but I'll definitely put a link to it. But for now... Paul, thanks very much. Martin, talk to you soon. You've been listening to Storage Unpacked. 
For show notes and more, subscribe at storageunpacked.com. Follow us on Twitter at Storage Unpacked or join our LinkedIn group by searching for Storage Unpacked Podcast. You can find us on all good podcatchers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com where you'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. The show's going to be taking a break for a few weeks now over the Easter period, but when we come back, we've got some shows on data analytics, compliance, and Kubernetes. So to make sure you catch those shows, why not subscribe? You can find us in all good homes of podcasts. And if you've got an idea for a tech interview show or would like to appear as a guest, then why not drop me an email at podcast at techstringy.com. So until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and thanks for listening.